West Bowles, good morning. We're so glad you're here. This morning, we are continuing a series we've been going through called Ghost Stories. And the idea behind Ghost Stories is we are looking at some moments after Jesus was crucified and he rose from the dead in which he appeared to people. And so people that he appeared to, they saw him and they thought he was a ghost. And regardless of what people thought he was, we believe that those were some very eye-opening moments for them in their lives but we believe those are also eye-openers for us in our lives. And so if you've missed any part of the series, you can go online to westbulls.com and get caught up. But this morning, I guess the best way to, to illustrate and introduce what we're going to talk about is I need to direct your attention to the screens here in the sanctuary. And before anything goes up on the screen, here's what I need you to be thinking as you look up there, okay? That rectangle that makes up the screen, that makes up 100%. Whoever shows up on there makes up 100% of the decision-making ability in Nathan's life, in my life, okay? Just keep that in mind and you'll be okay. So, first picture, here we go. <sighs> All I can say is what a hottie, huh? What a hottie. Hey, I just need to let you know that photo is not touched up. It's not airbrushed. That is the real deal, folks, right there. Thank you so much. All right, so... But th this was taken a couple weeks ago, but really, um, at age 18, this would represent who had all the decision-making power in my life. It was me. And so, it was like that till about age 22. I just did whatever I wanted. And then at age 22, next slide, I married Kara. And I know exactly what is going through your minds right now. You're thinking, she is so lucky. She's so lucky <laughs> to have a guy like that. <laughs> all right. For real, what you'll notice is uh, Nathan doesn't have 100% of the screen anymore. Because when we got married, we agreed that we were each going to have some say in one another's lives. And that took a little getting used to, but we got through that. And a couple years later, we didn't have kids yet, but we went and got a cat. All right? And how many of you in here have a cat? Okay, not many. All right. Um, you know that when you look at a cat, I mean, they... They can't talk, but if they could talk, you know what would be going through their mind is, I own this place, and I own you, and if I had the power, I'd own your soul, too, because so, that's just the attitude cats have, and so you can tell the cat has 50% of the decision-making power in my life at that time, while Kara had 25%, so, well, few more years went by. In 2007, next slide, we had Lainey. We had Lainey. She's our oldest daughter. And if you know Lainey, I know I'm biased when I say this, but she is absolutely hilarious. And uh, the other thing about Lainey is that when she was born, she came out as independent as you possibly can. I mean, that is a girl. If you know Lainey, she knows what she wants, and she knows when she wants what she wants, and she knows how she wants what she wants. And so the, the result of that is that she has a lot of say in my own life, whether I like it or not. And so, fast forward to January 2011, Kara um, was pregnant with our second child, and you know, there are all these theories as to how you tell whether it's a boy or a girl. And so, you know, some people say if the heart rate is higher or lower, or if the, if the woman when she's carrying the baby is higher or lower, that that would determine if it's a boy or a girl. Well, all these signs pointed to a boy. And so naturally, you know, we had a girl. And so those theories, I, if anybody brings them up, I'm like, I'm not even listening to you, okay? And it, true was by no means a disappointment, just a giant surprise. Because I was thinking, I mean, look at this, okay? If you count the cat, it's four females now <laughs> and one male. 
And uh, I was just thinking, well, if it's a boy, we're at least going to even that up a little bit. Um, but let me tell you what life is like in our house right now. True is absolutely adorable, but she's two years old. And you know, if you have a two-year-old or if you remember those days of having a two-year-old in the house, they could probably take up that whole screen and have all the say in your life. And then they could take up the wall and they could take up the roof and they could really have this whole place. And that is what life is like with a two-year-old in the house. Uh, but I just, just the dynamic here, I'm going to throw myself a little pity party, okay? And so I'd like you to join me. Um, <laughs> four girls and one guy. Um, can I just... Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Um, here's what life is like being the only guy in our house. Okay. Lainey will, um, she'll cast like these random, she'll hold votes. And we never actually get to the vote because she'll sit down and she'll say, okay, it's time to vote on what we're having for dinner tonight. And we'll sit down and everybody gets ready and she's like, oh, never mind. It's girls against boys. Whatever you want, dad, you lose. And so my picture just kind of keeps getting smaller as far as how much say I have in my life. Well, fast forward to now. Next slide. You see the ultrasound up there, and Kara said it earlier, but Kara's pregnant. And um, this child, we found out. Actually, we didn't find out. I just like raising the suspense a little bit. We have not found out whether this is a boy or a girl. But all I know is this. If it is a boy... With those two older sisters, he stands no chance whatsoever, okay? No chance. But it would at least, you know, it would like raise the ratio for, for guys in our house. If it is a girl, I am coming before you as the church to just pray for me, please. All right, but as you look up here, as you think back to the first slide, and then you see this one, does anybody see a problem here? <laughs> Like, I see some guys nodding their heads. The guys are like, Nathan, you need a man cave, you know? You need, you need a couch, and you need a big screen, and maybe your own fridge, and a room where you can burp and nobody cares, and I've kind of thought this through. Sorry. Um, and then I saw some women shaking their heads. They're like, Nathan, no, your life looks exactly the way it's supposed to, all right? <laughs> Look, there, there is a problem here, but it's not what you think. <laughs> the cats. Somebody said the cat. No, the problem, the problem is the thought that jumps into my mind and the thought that jumps into your mind anytime you look around at your life and you feel like things aren't going your way. You feel like you don't have any say. And that thought is, what about me? You know, what about what I think? What about my terms? What about what I want to see happen? And it's a very natural thought. And look at this. We live in a culture that fosters this, don't we? How many of you have an iPhone or an iPod or an iPad? Raise your hand. Okay. Do you remember the first time you held it? It's like, oh, oh. It's about me. This device is about me. I mean, the very name of it is an iPhone. It's a me device, Okay. And so what we do is in our culture, we have our iPhone and we walk down the street and then we go into Starbucks and for the bargain basement prices of $9 a cup, they'll make the drink the way who wants it? Yeah, the way you want it, right? And then you can take your iPhone and you can take your Starbucks and you can walk down the street to Albertsons and when you walk in, Albertsons, it's your store, right? That's their slogan. And then you can go to Burger King after that and you can have things your way right away. 
And then you can go for dessert at Dairy Queen and they treat who right? They treat you right. You know, and then if you need to work off some calories, you can go to the gym. And the worst part of the gym is you walk in and there are mirrors everywhere. <laughs> so all you see is you and you're sitting there and you're like, look at that body. I work out. I work out. <laughs> so, and that's what it's like. And here's the thing iPhones are not a bad thing, and Starbucks is not a bad thing, and mirrors in a gym are not a bad thing. Because ultimately, culture is not causing this. Culture has tapped into something about us, and it's reflecting that back to us. Culture has tapped into the fact that human beings are very self centered people. We are. It's a human thing. And it doesn't matter if you're young or you're old or you're male or you're female or if you're Christian or non-Christian. We are self-centered beings. Now, I say that's natural, but it's also a problem. And the problem is that thing that comes so naturally to us, that thing that comes so naturally is also very dangerous for us. Because it's kind of like in an emergency. What is the natural thing to do when there's an emergency? Panic. What is the most dangerous thing you could do in an emergency? Panic. Except in this case, it's not panic. It's just self-focused. You know, we're just, it, we revolve around ourselves. That's the issue. And the reason that's dangerous for us is because, because what happens is anytime I make a decision in life to say it's all about me, and it's all about what I want, and it's all about what I think, we end up making a compromise elsewhere. And those compromises don't really seem like a big deal at the time. But we get this. You know, if I want to spend a couple extra hours at work because I want to get ahead, what do I compromise? I compromise time at home with my family. And if you want to skip class because that's what you want to do, you know, it doesn't feel like a big deal, but you start to compromise your education. And it doesn't feel like a big deal to put another thing on the credit card, but you start to compromise your financial picture. And it doesn't feel like a big deal to gossip a little bit about somebody, but you start to compromise that relationship. And a lot of times those compromises, they have these really big, huge, devastating consequences that come as a result. You know, the consequence is a relationship with your family that could have been deeper, could have been more involved. The consequence is maybe a degree or a diploma that you missed out on. The consequence is maybe financial security that isn't there because of the compromises. Or the consequence is a friendship that was destroyed because of the gossip. And if you're like me, you showed up here today and you are walking around with the weight of baggage right now. You're walking around with the weight of baggage from those compromises and those consequences and those choices you made to make life all about me. And so by the end of this morning, here's what I hope. I hope that by the end of this morning, we'll see and God will open our eyes to another choice. And it is not a natural choice for us, but it's a better choice. And the reason I think it's a better choice is because with this choice, there don't have to be any compromises. And if there doesn't have to be any compromise, then there don't have to be any consequences. And if we don't have to suffer any consequences, well, then we don't have to walk around with baggage. 
And I don't know about you, but that sounds really good to me because it's all about me, right? Now, the reason I can stand up here and say that that's a better choice is because this morning we're going to look at someone's life who proves that very thing. Their life proves that what we're going to talk about this morning is a better choice. And that person, we're going to look at some moments in their life where they chose to do what was natural and they revolved around me, me, me and made life all about themselves. But then they had this conversation with Jesus. And it was a very eye-opening conversation with Jesus. And what Jesus did in that conversation is he set before them a choice that wasn't natural, but again, I think it was better. And it's better for all of us. And that moment and that choice changed everything in their lives. So we're going to look at that conversation this morning. If you have your Bibles, it is, we're going to be in John chapter 21, verse 15. And we will get there in just a minute. But first, I want to give you a little bit of background. The person whose life we're going to look at this morning, and we've talked about him a little bit recently, is Peter. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. But before he was ever Jesus' disciple, he was a fisherman. He grew up being a fisherman. And Peter, I think he is probably my favorite person in the entire Bible to pick on. And the reason I love to pick on Peter is because when I look at Peter's life, well, I see a lot of moments that mirror my life. You know, because Peter had moments like one day he was in a boat with some other disciples of Jesus. And they look out on the water and they see this figure walking towards them on the water, not in the water, on the water. And it was Jesus. And if any of us saw that today, we'd probably be speechless. We wouldn't be able to believe what we're seeing. But Peter jumps, you know, he just, he opens his mouth. He's like, wow, Jesus, hey, tell me to do that. Tell me. And I have these moments where I'm like, just don't say anything. So he gets out and, and he's walking across the water towards Jesus. And this wind comes up and he starts to sink. And what are the words that come out of his mouth? Help me, Jesus. Help me. And somehow, Peter managed, in his own mind, to take this, this situation in which Jesus was doing just something incredible and somehow tried to make it all about Peter. Later on, there's a, there's a time where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, there's going to come a time, very soon, where I am going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer at the hands of the leaders there. And I'm going to die. But three days later, I will rise from the dead. Now, Peter doesn't like this because this isn't what Peter was hoping. This isn't what Peter wanted. And so Peter pulls Jesus aside. And if you read the story, it says he began to rebuke Jesus. It's kind of a bad idea, all right? You don't scold God, okay? And Jesus took this so seriously, he turned around and he said, get behind me, Satan. Okay, if Jesus calls you Satan, that's bad, all right? But get behind me, Satan. And Jesus continued and he said, you know what? You don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man and what man wants. And Peter, what you want well, if you fast forward to the day before Jesus was, was arrested and put on trial, he's talking to his disciples and he says, this very night, you all will abandon me. 
you will scatter. And Peter has this moment that I know I can relate to. His pride kind of swells up within him. And he says, Jesus, I won't. I won't abandon you. Even if all these guys, all these guys I've been hanging around with for the last three years, even if they all abandon you, I won't. And Jesus said, Peter, tell you the truth. Tonight you will deny me three times. And then Peter just kind of keeps going. It's another moment where it's like, Peter, just stop. But he said, I won't. Even if I have to follow you to death, I won't abandon you, Jesus. Well, that night came around and they came to arrest Jesus and they're taking him to trial. And a few people recognize Peter and they say, hey, weren't you with him? Now, this had to be terrifying for Peter. I mean, imagine if one of your friends was arrested and they were looking for accomplices to question. What would you do? You'd probably do what I would do. You'd do what comes naturally. Well, what about me? What's going to happen to me? And so we see Peter say, no, I don't know him. And he doesn't just do it one time, not just twice. He does it three times. He denies Jesus. And when he realizes what he's just done, he goes outside and he weeps bitterly. And I think that's a perfect picture of what happens when we live life all about me. It ends in bitter, bitter weeping. Well, you know the story. Jesus died on the cross. And a little time went by and Peter looked back at these last three years and the person he'd been following. He said, this isn't what I thought it was. It's not what I thought it was. It's not what I wanted it to be about. So I'm going to go back to what I know. Fishing. And Peter goes back to fishing. And as we looked at last week, that doesn't even work out. I mean, imagine going back to the only thing you've ever known, and now that doesn't even work. And so you can see that up to this point, Peter's life has been about who? Peter. It's been all about what Peter wants and what Peter thinks. But Jesus, pay attention. Jesus is about to change all that. And we couldn't blame Peter, could we? Because he's just doing what comes naturally. But Jesus is about to change all that in this conversation that we're going to look at. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 21, verse 15. If you don't, it'll be up on screen for you to follow along. Verse 15, when they had finished eating. See, Peter and these guys, they couldn't catch any fish. And then Jesus showed up and he said, well, just do it my way. And they catch all these fish. Actually, they catch 153 fish, as we talked about last week. 153 fish. And so they've eaten breakfast on the shore. And Jesus looks at Peter and look what he says, Simon, son of John. This was Peter's name before he was a disciple. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Well, that had to hurt a little bit because Peter's being reminded of this moment in which he said, you know what, Jesus, even if they fall away, I won't. I love you more. If they fall away, I won't. And so Jesus says, do you love me? Truly love me more than these. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, it's kind of a strange request if you're reading this for the first time. Feed my lambs. Now the Peter we've known up to this point probably would have been like, feed my lambs? That's not fun. That's not what I want to do. 
And it's fun for like two minutes. See, Peter's been, he's been humbled. And so there's silence. Next verse, verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And this is probably starting to hurt a little bit. This is like when somebody asks you a question and you answer them and then they ask you the exact same question again. It's like they don't believe you. Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus makes another kind of strange request. Take care of my sheep. And then silence. A third time, next verse. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now this is starting to seem a little harsh, isn't it? But Jesus has a right. Because three times Peter said, I don't know him. And that probably felt like Peter didn't really love Jesus. Peter loved Peter, but not Jesus. And so Peter answers. It says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. See, we know that moment too, don't we? When you've betrayed somebody, And you just want them to know more than anything that in the depths of your heart, you do love them, even if your actions didn't show it. And so we can understand where Peter is at right now. And look what Jesus says next. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Okay, and so with this third request, this third command to Peter, I think Jesus was doing a couple things. Number one, he's restoring Peter back to his position as a disciple because Peter had walked away. And he's telling Peter, I have something for you to do. But I think the other thing he's doing with Peter right here is he's saying, Peter, the time has come where life is not going to happen. Your love for me is not going to happen on your terms anymore. This is not about what Peter wants. This is not about Peter This is not about Peter's terms. I need you to do, Peter, what I ask you to do. This is on Jesus' terms now. And when you look at what Peter was asked to do, you can tell that Jesus is referring to a flock. And as you look at Peter's life, you don't really ever see him taking care of a literal flock of sheep, but he does take care of a flock of people. And that flock, that group of people, is the church. It was Jesus' church. That's who Peter's going to take care of. And and Jesus knows in his mind that if I'm going to ask Peter to do this, I have to know that he's going to do this on my terms, not on his. It is not all about Peter. And then Jesus explains why this is so important. Look, verse 18. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Okay, if you look at this, it's like, that's not a real motivational speech, Jesus. Not very motivating. But here's what I think Jesus was doing. Jesus was painting a picture for Peter that we know really, really well, don't we? Because that's really how our lives work out. I mean, I was watching somebody who came in with a baby this morning, and the baby was in a baby carrier sleeping, and I just thought, those were the days right there. 
Not that I remember them, okay? But those were the days because if you got hungry, somebody fed you. And if you got cranky, somebody held you. And if you wanted to sleep, you just went to sleep. And if you had to go to the bathroom, you didn't even have to walk to it. You just did it, and when somebody smelled it, they changed it. And it was great. But as soon as you're old enough to do something, you know, your parents start giving you chores, and you don't necessarily want to do those things, do you? And then you get to school, and a teacher gives you homework. And you don't really want to do those things, do we? And then we get to work, you know, our working lives, and there's a boss who's giving us work to do, and we don't really want to do that all the time, do we? And you've got to show up at a certain time, and you can't go home until a certain time. And that's difficult. Well, see, for Peter, it wasn't a parent asking him to do chores. And it wasn't a teacher asking him to do homework. And it wasn't a boss asking him to do their job. For Peter, a person leading him where he did not want to go was in the form of an executioner. And we know from some extra biblical sources that Peter was led where he didn't want to go. And that place was the cross. Peter was to be crucified just like his master, just like Jesus. See, what Jesus was saying to Peter when he said this was, Peter, you are going to die. After, after all of this living on my terms, the end of it is you are going to die. Well, that's kind of depressing. I mean, you're glad you came to church this morning, aren't you? But it doesn't end there. Because John, who wrote, wrote this book, he, he inserts this, this thought. Look at this. Verse 19. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Hmm. Interesting. P Jesus had said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, would bring glory to God's name. See, what I think Jesus knew is he recognized that there had been some time for Peter to make life all about Peter. And along the way, Peter had made some compromises and there were some consequences. And he probably compromised relationships with other disciples. And he potentially compromised his relationship with Jesus. And he potentially compromised what God was wanting to do with his life later on. But Jesus looked past all that and he restored him. Because Jesus knew that a day was coming in which Peter was going to have an opportunity to do the greatest possible thing that anybody could ever do with this life or death. Bring glory to God. And Jesus knew that if Peter arrived on that day and up to that point he'd been living life on Peter's terms, well then the end result would be another compromise. And it would be more weeping bitterly. But Jesus also knew that if Peter arrived at that day and up to that point he'd been living life on Jesus' terms, doing what Jesus had asked him to do, no fighting, no pushback, that the end result would be the greatest thing Peter could do with his life or death, glorifying God's name. And so you know what I think Peter had his eyes open to in this conversation? I think he had his eyes open to this, that when, when I, when it's about me, 
I compromise. But when I'm about Jesus, he's glorified. When my life is all about me and what I want and my terms, I end up compromising. And we see that in Peter's life early on. But when I'm about Jesus, when I'm about what Jesus has asked me to do, no questions asked, just do it, then he, God, is glorified. And so the same thing that Peter had his eyes open to, I hope that you and I have our eyes open to this morning. Because really, what happened here is we see that there are two choices, and there is no middle ground. We can either live for what we want and ultimately try to glorify ourselves, and the end result will be compromise, and we will suffer consequences, or we can be about Jesus and glorifying Jesus. But that has to be a place where Jesus has complete and total access to our lives. No ifs, ands, or buts. No pushback. No arguing. No complaining. No grumbling. It's what Jesus wants. What Jesus has asked us to do. Now, I was thinking about that thought, and I went, well, yeah, but what about me? Because that's what we do. No, actually, I was thinking, what would that look like? To be about Jesus. To follow him and do what he asked, no questions asked. What would that look like? I'll throw out a suggestion. And this suggestion was actually Jesus' idea, not mine. So if you don't like it, don't email me. Just, I'm just going to tell you to go talk to Jesus about it, okay? But isn't it interesting that Jesus' answer to Peter being all about Peter was for Peter to get outside of Peter. Did you catch all that? In other words, Jesus' answer to Peter being all about himself was for Peter to get outside of himself. And I think that the absolute best thing we could do when that thought that jumps to mind so naturally, what about me, what about what I want, what about my terms, when that thought comes to mind, I think the answer the answer to that is to get outside of ourselves. And you don't need God to open up the sky and audibly tell you what that looks like because God has placed opportunities right in front of us, hasn't he? It's at home, it's at school, it's at work. You have neighbors, you have a church where there are opportunities all over the place. You know, I know we talked about this last time, but Ryan Long and Beverly Ann, they went to St. Louis for training to be Stephen's ministers because we're bringing a Stephen's ministry. God has brought a Stephen's ministry to this church. And what better way to get outside of ourselves and take care of the flock, of the church, by caring for people. I know that a number of you have been praying for this place just on your own. There's an opportunity for us to, to have a prayer ministry here. Maybe that's how we get outside of ourselves. Maybe for you it's not at the church, but again, you have a neighbor. You have a family at home. But a lot of times we get stopped because we get caught. You could show that slide again. We get caught right there. See that little lower right-hand corner? We get caught on, well, what about me? What about what I want? You know, it's not, it's not ideal. 
By the way, honey, I love our family setup. Okay, just saying. <laughs> but, you know, we get caught there on that, our small little part and we forget that what's right in front of us. The opportunity that's right in front of us. Because maybe, maybe the person that God wants to use to bring glory to his name and in that opportunity that he's put in front of you, maybe that person is you and it's me. Instead of us holding back and saying, well, yeah, but it's not really what I like or what I want. You know what that looks like? Two weeks ago, Boston, two bombs go off at the end of a marathon. People have just run 26 miles to arrive at explosions and people laying on the ground. And in the midst of that, in the middle of a crisis, you can even watch the video, an explosion goes off and you see people running towards the explosion. Because these are people who got outside of themselves, whether they realized that they were doing it or not. The last official runner, finisher of the Boston Marathon was a guy who had run 26 miles. He had 0.2 miles to go. And the, and the bombs went off. And he stopped right there, didn't even think about finishing the race, and helped put a tourniquet on a woman and put her in a wheelchair, spent half an hour there with her, and then to get to the hospital started going down the street and just happened across the finish line. And somebody saw that and the time was still going and they decided he was the final official finisher. But he wasn't thinking about that. He wasn't thinking about what he was doing. He was thinking about somebody else. There were reports of runners who had just run 26.2 miles who kept running to the hospital to give blood for the victims. The Red Cross turned people away. They said, we have enough blood. Thank you. That's what it looks like to get outside of ourselves. Last week, 15 people got baptized here. And that's what it looks like. Those were 15 people who said, Jesus, my life is not about my terms. It's about your terms. Youth leaders, will you stand up? I know we don't have all of them here this morning. Some of them are out of town. And I know I'm putting you on the spot right now. But we have 18 youth leaders here at the church. And I just need to tell you, we have a portion of the youth here tonight, but these 18 youth leaders, they, they interact on a weekly basis with 130 junior hires and high schoolers. And every single week, these guys give up Sunday morning, what I want to do, and they give up Sunday night, what I feel like doing, and they give up Tuesday night, I've had a long day at work and I want to do what I want to do, and then Friday night, I want to go out and I want to have fun, and times during the week, but for them, it's, it's not... They don't dislike it by any means. They love it because they're pouring into the lives of junior hires and high schoolers here at the church. And then on top of it, they have to deal with me and I can be a grouchy little bear sometimes, you know, because we have a two-year-old. So we don't always sleep that great. Youth leaders, thank you. You guys can grab a seat. <clears throat> but that's what it looks like. That is what it looks like. And so this morning as we close, um, I really wanted to end on a positive note. So I'm just going to say this the best way I can say it. You are going to die. <laughs> I know. 
I'm so, you're so glad you came to church this morning. But you know what? We are all going to die one day. And one day when you look back on your life and when people look back on your life, what are they going to see and what are you going to see and what is the story of your life? Is it compromise? Because you tried your whole life to glorify yourself and I tried my whole life to glorify myself and make it all about me. Did we try to make it all about us and as a result make compromises? Because if that's the case, then when our time here on earth is done, so is our impact. But when we look back on our lives and when people look back on our lives, if we can come to the end of our lives and people can see that we were about Jesus, then wow, the impact of our lives will last far longer than our time here on earth. Much longer. But we have to remember, the only way to get there is this, that when I, when it is about me, I compromise. But when I'm about Jesus, he's glorified. Will you pray with me? Father, will you etch into all of our hearts, all of our days, that it is all, all, all about you. Amen. West Bulls, have a great week. See you next Sunday.